Hello and welcome to Sermons by the Park, the weekly sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. At Union, we believe in the radical welcome of Jesus Christ and in the power of the Word of God to inspire and transform us. We're happy to share that message with you wherever you are on life's journey. Now here's this week's message. Our gospel reading this morning comes to us from the gospel according to Mark in the first chapter, the first 11 words, 11 verses. And the first verse uh, is particularly telling about where we're starting. Let's continue listening for God's word for us here today. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me now in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Holy God, the wise have sought you throughout all of time. And so we come this morning seeking your word. But more than that, seeking your presence, seeking your grace. Open unto us this word that we may find in it your healing, your love, your guidance, and your salvation, that we may walk in the ways of Christ. May the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all of our hearts here be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, this past week was, of course, the first week of the new year, which I could have told you was the case without ever looking at a calendar. The only metric I would need to know to tell you that it was the first week of the new year is the sheer volume of cars in the parking lot at the YMCA. (laughs) It is, of course, New Year's resolution season, which for many means getting back to the gym, getting in shape, new year, new you, and this year, this time, is going to be the time when we really commit to it, get it done. And you know, the fun, you know, mock, but the funny thing about that is that the message of Christmas actually seems to point to exactly this idea. 
The prophets speak of God doing a new thing in Christ Jesus, how Christ's coming makes all things new. And of course, as I just said to the children, right, the epiphany is the announcement and the revelation of this newness, not just to the people of Israel, but to the world as a whole. It's not just for those who who heard the angels sing or who saw the stars, but every nation and all peoples. It's for you, it's for me, and it is, of course, for all of the people in the YMCA parking lot. And so, uh, in the spirit of of starting the new year off on the right foot, this morning I'd like to begin a a four-part sermon series called Walk This Way. Just as many are embarking on their own fitness journeys to start the year, to restore their bodily health and their strength, in this epiphany season we are beginning a spiritual journey out of the mystery of the manger and into the world where the Spirit of God tears open the heavens and descends wild and on the loose. Jesus, of course, said, I am the way. And his invitation to those who would follow him was to, was to come and to follow him, to walk with him, to walk this way. But offering that invitation to anyone, but before he did that, before he called his disciples, first the way of Christ, as we heard in the words of the prophet Isaiah, had to be prepared. The way had to be prepared. This is the beginning of a new thing, this new way. It was proclaimed and prepared not by Jesus, though, but through the action of the Holy Spirit and this wild man named John. Now, according to Luke's gospel, John and Jesus were cousins, They were related through their mothers, Elizabeth and Mary. When Mary had visited her elderly aunt Elizabeth after learning of her miraculous pregnancy, we are told that upon seeing her, the Holy Spirit came and filled Elizabeth. And it also then filled the child in her womb. And John started doing somersaults in her belly. It's amazing that that even before he was born, before he was ritually purified or or before he took up his vow to live this strange way outside of society in his camel-haired clothing and his wild honey and locusts, before all of that, the Holy Spirit came and filled John. And that's actually something unique. It's unique to John and to Jesus. These are the only folks who are not twice born. You see, Jesus told the people who came to him that they must be born again. But John, John, he didn't need to be born again because he was born full of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus. Jesus, who was born with the fullness of God in him. Of course, John recognized that this did not make him equal to Jesus. In fact, he said that he was preparing the way for the one who would come after him, who was mightier than him. And yet John was indeed fearfully and wonderfully made, in the words of the prophet Jeremiah, by the Spirit of God. And again, this was not the result of his actions. It wasn't even the result of anything his parents may have done for him, but rather it was purely an act of God's Providence, God's providence that we heard about in Psalm 29, 
where we're reminded that we are to ascribe to God glory, that God has glory and power over this whole world, even over all of those powerful physical elements like the seas and the thunder, all these things that we find ourselves so often subjected to and at the mercy of. And of course, the thing about all those folks returning to the gym at this time of year is that, is that they're recognizing something important about our human condition. You see, we are very much at the mercy of the forces of nature. Our bodies age and atrophy. We are subjected to the vicissitudes of disease and degradation over time. For most people, then, fitness is not so much about how you look in a bathing suit. Some folks obviously care about that. But most people just want to maintain or even improve their ability to use their bodies to do the things that we do in our everyday lives. I know for me, I began exercising again in earnest when I found that I couldn't get up off the floor after playing with my kids for an extended period of time. And I just wanted to be in a place where the weight of my own self, where the weight of gravity, the forces of this world were not holding me down on the ground such that I couldn't play with the kids. Because, of course, they have expectations. They're very active boys, and they want me to hang with them. And so I stated initially that my fitness goal was to be able to just get up off the floor repeatedly without pain. I didn't want to disappoint the kids. But the thing that one learns when it comes to fitness is that it's not really just about building up physical strength, a kind of resistance to the forces of gravity. It's also about resisting our own mental and spiritual forces of disappointment or disinterest or distraction. These are, of course, the reasons why sociologists have found that most New Year's resolutions are abandoned in just three weeks. That's all it takes, three weeks. I can look forward to getting my parking spot back. Sometimes it just happens that people go a little too hard. They injure themselves through overexertion. Sometimes other things come up. Work ramps back up, or, or, or an illness comes, or there's a new baby, or a sick parent. In these cases, distraction enters in, but not without good reason. Oftentimes, it is not wrong to choose more profound and deeply held commitments as worthy of our time, rather than the novel resolution we take simply because the calendar has turned over from December to January. And this is true in every season. Throughout all of life, we choose between the commitments that we have, between the relationships we have with other people and the obligations that they come with. To be a parent is, of course, to have obligations to one's children. To be a child is to have obligations to one's parents. To be an employee entails a certain kind of commitment, not just to a company, but to one's co-workers as well. And, of course, to be a member of a congregation is a commitment as well. To be a part of the body of Christ entails commitment. And we are constantly called upon over and over again, to choose between commitments when we find them clashing with one another. But this last commitment, the commitment to Christ, 
though often treated as just one more commitment among many others, is, I would suggest, different. Today, we often tend to think about the commitments we have as something that we have created in our lives. We talk about building community and building relationships, these things that we do actively, doing this emotional and sociable work as individuals. And the question is always, why are we doing this? Why build community? Why cultivate these relationships? Why choose to create commitments? And that question becomes most animated, I think, when we choose not to honor those commitments. There's a joke that goes around that I often hear that there's no better feeling than the feeling of canceling plans. (laughs) Actually, there's no better feeling than the feeling of someone else who you were supposed to meet canceling the plans that you didn't really want to keep. That's the best situation. No guilt there. And of course, that's a joke, but it resonates because there is some truth to it. There is something freeing about having an obligation just disappear. But I wonder how we got to this place where not honoring our commitments gives us almost as much, if not more, pleasure and satisfaction than keeping them. Of course, we have to, we have to talk about this truth as, in joking ways because Again, society tells us that we are supposed to seek and build for ourselves this relational world where we we have commitments and where we don't uh, fail to keep them. There's a lot of guilt that comes along with, with not keeping our commitments. A great deal of the messaging around the commitments we make these days, though, is about guarding against too much commitment, overcommitment, burnout. We have to give ourselves permission to do less. And the pandemic imposed that upon us in some ways. I think that's why this idea started to pick up steam. But now it's seen oftentimes as the right choice, the good choice, to choose amongst our commitments more judiciously, to weed out the obligations that demand too much of us or do not give enough joy in return for the investment of energy they require. And while that may not seem to have a whole lot to do with this morning's scripture, the notion of the commitment of the self is at the very center of what is described in Mark's gospel. What Mark describes here is an act of commitment, but it's wholly different from all those other kinds of commitments that we are told we ought to cultivate. Mark tells us that John went down to the Jordan River to proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In those days, as in our days, to be a sinner was to be at odds with God, but it was also to be at odds with one's neighbors. It was to have experienced a rupture in the social order of relationships between people. But unlike today... When we see these relationships as something that we build, instead, the people who went down to that river didn't believe that they had just hurt someone's feelings or violated some commitment that they had created. They believed that 
they had acted in a way that was fundamentally at odds with the very nature of creation over which God is the absolute and all-powerful sovereign. And when you do that, that's not something you can just feel guilty about or even that you could just forgive yourself for. This is not something that you can write off as your own choice, saying, well, maybe I shouldn't have committed to that. This is something about what truly matters. The confession of sin is not simply about our choices, but it's about this relation to God, the God who controls the chaotic waters of creation, whose, whose glory is shown in thunder, who can strip the forests bare. This God not only wove together this physical creation, God created this social world in which we live, where we have these laws of righteousness that are written upon our hearts that compel us to create connection and obligation with one another. And so the people went out to acknowledge ruptures in that fabric. The people went out to publicly do that. Their neighbors saw them go. Their friends would see them go. Their employers and the religious clerics, they would see these people go out to John. Sort of like if you cancel plans and then you happen to see the person you canceled the plans with out in public. You're caught. You know that you have done wrong. And whether they said it out loud or not, by the very fact that they were going to John, for the forgiveness of sins, to receive this baptism, they were saying, I acknowledge that I have ripped a hole in the fabric of creation into which I was woven. And I'm not just guilty of disappointing my parents or my friends or my employees or even disappointing myself for this failure. I have done something that puts me fundamentally at odds with reality itself. And because of that, I feel something. I feel this emptiness. I feel like life is not worth living because I cannot achieve my way out of this rupture. That is the confession of sin. That is what these folks were saying simply by going down to the river to receive their baptism. And these days we are told that it's good to acknowledge our failures, but it's only ever as a prelude to our own self-reinvention, to try again to work harder. But the way of Christ is a way of repentance that goes deeper than self-reinvention. It goes all the way down to a need for recreation that can only come from God's providence and through the unity of the Holy Spirit. This, this gift that comes before all things and prepares all things to move in the way of Christ Jesus, just as it prepared John to move in the way of Jesus. And so to walk in the way of Christ is to step out of a mindset that says our commitments are only ever our own, but instead to see them as part of a deeper life that resonates across time connecting us to those who came before and those who come after. Each and every one of us was prepared for this life that we live. We were knit together in 
a woman's womb. We were baptized by the Holy Spirit through the abundance of grace that came into the world in Christ. Every time we gather around the baptismal font, we are called to remember our baptism, which was not something we did for ourselves, but was done for us. And there's nothing unusual about that. There's nothing unusual about these gifts of life and spirit, and yet they are still extraordinary gifts. We've all been ready to walk in Christ's way. That is God's grace and gift to us. But we have also fooled ourselves into believing too often that Christ's way is just our way. But Christ's ways are not our ways. Discipleship in Christ is about resisting the spirit of our times and instead embracing the Holy Spirit, which is beyond time. And that requires doing what those folks who went down to the Jordan had to do. They had to step out of the norms and expectations of society. They had to reveal who they were. They had to reveal their unhappiness, their discontentedness, their dissatisfaction with the way of their being, but perhaps also with the way of being in this world, with injustice and poverty and war, lovelessness, faithlessness, hopelessness. To the extent that we see ourselves in a world that has those features, we too are like those folks going down to the Jordan in the sight of our neighbors, acknowledging this need for repentance and recreation. And so preparing the way of the Lord in our own lives means surrendering, surrendering the essence of our life to a power, to a person who is forever beyond us. And yet the good news is that that person is not inaccessible to us. You see, when the people came down to the river, John baptized them. And in their baptism was the same spirit that was in Christ's baptism. And so today, when we baptize, we baptize into that same baptism. Such is the grace of God, that just as Jesus looked up and saw that dove coming down, so too can we hear these words of God resonating in those times when we feel empty and disconnected and at a loss. We can hear God's words saying, With you, with you, I am well pleased. I am well pleased to be with you. Those words hold the way to a life more abundant than anything we could ever ask or imagine. And that is good news, friends. Thank you for listening. To find out more about Union Congregational Church and our life together, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or find us on social media, at Church by the Park. Until next time, may God's grace and peace be with you.